Today's podcast episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter and Casper. Recovery Elevator, episode 168. I have this feeling of like, I just need to be healed. I'm ready to surrender. And I, I, I knew that's when I started really looking at the situation for what it was and accepting the word alcoholic, accepting, you know, looking at words I never wanted to even look at, like sobriety, like recovery. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for 1,305 days. On today's podcast, we've got Amy. She's 33 years old. She's from Wisconsin, and she's been sober since January 16th, 2017. Before we get any further, let's hear from one of today's sponsors, ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. Here at Recovery Elevator, I am surrounded by a phenomenal team, and it was hard to find these people. And next time I need another team member, I'm going to go with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash elevator. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, let's get started. I got an email the other day from a husband of a gal who's in Cafe RE requesting a cancellation. As much as I'd like to think that Cafe RE is for everyone, it's not for everyone, and I understand that. But this request to cancel was a difficult one to process. I read it, and my fingers immediately went to the keyboard, and I said, wait, Paul, just hang on a second. You should probably keep your mouth shut. So I sat on it for a couple hours. I sat on it for a couple more hours, and then I responded. So let's go through this email chain because there's some important takeaways. And of course, names and locations and all that stuff has been changed. So here goes. Hi, Paul. My name is Mike. My wife, Jen, is a member of Cafe RE. Jen is very sick and has fell off the wagon hard. I need to cancel the subscription she signed up for. Thanks for your help. Like I said, I read that email and I had to read it again and again, even though it was just a couple quick sentences, the wheel started spinning. It just didn't make sense. So I said to myself, Paul, you should probably keep your mouth shut. You don't need to insert your two cents into this conversation. Um, so guess what? I definitely inserted my two cents in this conversation. And here's my response. Hey, Crosby, I forwarded your request and the cancellation will be processed. I should probably keep my mouth shut, but it seems like this is when she needs the resource the most. This is how I read it. Hey, my cancer has come back full swing, so I need to cancel my cancer meds. Hey, I am dying of thirst, so when I come back to the house, make sure there's no water anywhere in the house. Does this make sense? I'm responding because I care. I don't care about the $12 per month. I care that she might really need this resource at this moment in time. Please let me know if you have any questions, Mike. I know being on the other side can be quite confusing. 
Shift command deliver, hotkeys, email sent. A couple hours later to get an email back from Mike and here's what it says. Paul, I appreciate your point of view on this. Jen basically took off and left myself and our two boys in a really bad spot. She emptied our checking account and has basically disappeared. I've been doing damage control the past couple weeks trying to figure out just what the hell is going on. I'm hopeful that she'll get help and maybe one day resubscribe to Cafe RE. But one thing is very clear, alcohol is poison and will destroy people and those who love them. I thought to myself, oh shit, that's right. Alcoholism, my enhanced dopamine receptors, my EDR effects, more than just me. More than just us. This is a family disease which affects everyone. The swath of addiction is larger than the tail of a blue whale. I have no supporting data to back that statement up, but it leaves a devastating path of wreckage. In episodes 23 to 26, I do a series called The Other Side, where I interview family members, spouses, and friends of people with EDR or alcoholics. And those interviews do a great job of putting this disease into perspective. So here's my response to Mike. Mike, I'm so sorry to hear about the pain that alcohol has caused you and your family. It hurts my heart. Sometimes I forget that alcohol affects more than just the person who consumes it. Please let me know if there's anything I can help with. Jen's membership has been canceled. Man, that's some heavy stuff right there. Alcohol is shit. Okay, so I'm going to shift gears for a second, and then I'm going to do my best to circle the wagons back to the subject and try to tie it all together. Keyword, try. So I've been doing the Recovery Elevator podcast for over three years and the Cafe RE groups for nearly two years, and a consistency is starting to emerge. I've witnessed people who joined the private accountability group nearly three years ago, which is now Cafe RE. They're hitting one, two, almost three years of sobriety, living a successful, happy life without alcohol, which is incredible. So whenever someone hits a milestone, they are expected to share how they did it. What's in the pudding? What's in the secret sauce? I've seen there's no one-size-fits-all approach to getting and staying sober. There's not a rigid set of tools that need to be followed in order to be successful and happy in life without alcohol. But there's one thing that I consistently see, and this also mirrors how I got sober. So if there's one thing you do, do this. Now, this one thing, besides being a great song that came out by Amory in 2005, this one thing will be un... Ah, what's that word? It'll be unaccommodating. No, 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 that's not it. It will be uncommanding. No, no. Un, it will be un, uncomradery. That's, no, that's not either. Oh, just popped in my head. <laughs> this one thing's going to be uncomfortable. That's it. Oh, I can't believe that word slipped my mind. So are you ready for this one thing? This could be, in fact, the value bomb of all 168 podcast episodes up to date. I've covered it in previous episodes as an adjunct to other recovery tools, but I'm going on the record in this episode and I'm giving this one thing, a level five rating out of five stars, of course. So here it is. Tell the five closest people in your life about your EDR, about your alcohol use disorder, about your alcoholism, that you're an alcoholic, whatever you want to say, however you want to phrase it, call it, but it has to be clear. If your mom, dad, brother, or sister is not included in the top five people, well, congrats. You're going to be telling more than five people because it's extremely important they get in the loop. It's similar to the reverse intervention, which I talk about in episode 143, but this time it has a level 5 rating coupled with it. These have to be uninterrupted conversations, blocked out schedule time, and it should take anywhere from 30 minutes to 10 hours per person. Getting sober without doing this one thing is like training for a marathon without running. 
Hey, Bill, I can't help but notice, but I've seen you stretching at the stretching mat at the gym for the past eight weeks. You're basically just stretching regularly. Oh, yeah. I see you've got some new running kicks. Sweet track outfit, by the way, Bill. Nice Fitbit. Powder electrolytes. Did those things really work? Yeah, so uh, what's up, Bill? Oh, hey, Tony. Yeah, I've got the Fountain Hills Marathon coming up this Tuesday, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. Okay, Bill, that's that's awesome, but uh, when, when are you planning on getting on the treadmill? I, I don't think I've seen you run once this past eight weeks, but I've seen you do a lot of stretching. Yeah, this scenario sounds silly because it would probably never happen. Just like getting sober without doing this one thing will probably never happen. The reason why I started off this topic with the cancellation request is because we owe these people in our lives an explanation. Most likely our loved ones have been hurt by our drinking in some fashion or another. You may be saying to yourself, Nope, I'm different. I'm special. No one has ever said anything to me about my drinking, and this was also a similar narrative to me. But most likely, your relationships have been negatively affected by your drinking, as was the case for me. Also, by doing this one thing, you have the opportunity to jumpstart your 8th and ninth steps if you decide to go the 12-step route. The wake of destruction with addiction is vast, and we need to let others in on our drinking, or we don't stand much of a chance. You've heard me say on this podcast that addiction is confusing. And the more I learn about recovery, addiction, sobriety, etc., the more I realize what I don't know. But I do know that doing this one thing is perhaps the most important thing you can do that you have to do if you want to get and stay sober. And remember, it might be uncompassing. No, 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 that's, that's, that's not the word. Uncomfortable. Yep, that's the one. And before we hear from Amy, let's hear from today's sponsor, Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get the best rest one night at a time. Hmm, that kind of sounds familiar. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing a supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Casper offers two other mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pending, premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. With over 20,000 reviews, wow, that's a lot, and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google, Casper is becoming the internet's favorite mattress. You spend one-third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Check this out. It's got free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Again, get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com forward slash elevator and use the promo code elevator. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's casper.com forward slash elevator and then use the promo code elevator for $50 off select mattresses. Okay, now let's hear from Amy. Amy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Amy. Thanks for asking. Amy, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I have been sober for 422 days. 422 days. Nice job. And as we spoke earlier, that was January 16th, 2017, right? Yes. Fantastic. And before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, what you do for a living. Do you have a family? What do you like to do for fun? Sure. I am from Wisconsin. I live here with my husband. We've been married for two years. We each have a child from a previous marriage. And then I just had my, we just had our our first child together in October. So I have a five-month-old as well. 
I work in human resources in the healthcare industry, and I'm actually going to be leaving my corporate job here at the end of the month to spend more time with my family and be a stay-at-home mom. Awesome. Congratulations on all that. It's, it's great. Thank you. Thanks. Lots of lots of changes going on, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then what do you like to do for fun, Amy? I, you know, that's been definitely a journey of kind of figuring out what I like to do for fun as a sober person. I I've really been focusing on being a little bit more social and meeting new people. I, so I like to I like to do yoga. I like to go to the gym. I like to be outside. I think there's something just really, um, especially you know, for for people that are sober about being outside. It's really helped make you feel grounded and being close to nature. So basically, I like doing everything as a sober person, and now trying to figure out what I like what I like most. So it's been an interesting experience going from doing everything as a drunk person to doing everything as a sober person. Yeah, and I want to comment on that real quick. It's been an interesting experience, 422 days, and you're still figuring out what you like to do. I'd, I'd often imagine that the instant I stopped drinking, I'd be getting on mountain bikes, paragliding, parasailing, all this these cool, crazy <laughs> activities, but it's been a work in progress. It's been a bit of fun work in progress. The five or six episodes ago, I read a long list of things that we can do in sobriety to get the dopamine receptors going. But you know, what, what's something in the future you're, you're going to plan on doing? This could be like a talent, a skill, or a hobby or something like that. I would have to say I would like to, I don't know, it's hard It's hard to, now that I'm put on a spot, I don't know what to say. But I would yeah, no problem. even, even just being more you know, present in my community and helping with nonprofit organizations, especially because I'll have a little bit more time now when I when I'm not working to just get out there and be of service to others and and help help other people in the community. Yeah, well, I think you said it earlier too. Is you're focusing more on on community. You just said it right there, but you said it earlier too, and that's something that I've made a focused attempt as of late to do to get back into my community and just simply go to AA. That's not, and, and, but for that purpose, for me to, to have the interaction, to have the conversations with people. Yeah, I heard in a TED Talks one time, the opposite of addiction is connection. It's pretty cool. So yeah, yeah I fully yeah. am on board with that. And let's get, uh, let's talk about the podcast title, Recovery Elevator. Let's talk about your elevator. When did you realize your elevator had reached its bottom and it was time to quit drinking? I quit drinking January of 2017. And that that year prior, I had really, that was kind of the year where I was having a really hard time moderating and I was actively looking at my drinking behavior and just was not able to, to control it at all. Wait, and tell um, me a little bit more to, about that really hard time yep. moderating phase. What did you do and what plans did you have in place, things like that? Tried a little bit of everything. It was, you know, we would, my husband and I, we, we both kind of talked about it, about, you know, I would come to him and say, I mean, I'm drinking too much. I And so we would try to, like, put these activities in place. We'd try to, try to moderate my drinking we tried only drinking on weekends, only drinking when we go out to eat, only drinking light beer, only drinking wine, only drinking 
you know, days when we do not have kids, only drinking on payday or, you know, setting, setting a goal, like we're not going to drink until X date, you know, whatever that may be. I know like one time, for example, it was, we're not going to drink until this concert we were going to go to. And yeah, it it didn't work. (laughs) None of it worked at all. Shocker. It didn't work. But you know what I, I don't think I've heard yet. And I like about this is the, we're going not, we're not going to drink until this date. Is your husband, is he also someone in trying to get sober as well? Or is he just on board and and a kick-ass husband? Well, he is definitely kick-ass husband, but he, so it's, it's very interesting because the dynamic of our relationship when we when we first started dating, you know, we found ourselves in a relationship where we really enjoyed being around each other. We really enjoyed going out together and being social, and we both didn't really have that before in, in previous relationships. So mm-hmm. naturally, we found ourselves drinking a lot. And I had already been I had already been drinking way too much prior to meeting him, but my behavior of like you know, let's go to dinner, but before we go to dinner, let's go get a few martinis or, you know, I kind of was a bad influence on that because I always had alcohol around. I was always drinking. And so it became, I think it became kind of a habit of mine that rubbed off on him. When I, when I got to the point where I was ready to quit and I was ready to surrender to a problem with alcohol, you know, he, he was fully supportive and, he got up and poured out all the alcohol in the house. And, wow. and since then, you know, I've told him, you know, I, you know, if you want to order a drink at dinner or if you, you know, for going camping and you want to bring a six pack, you know, it's okay with me, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't do it because he's fully supportive of me. And I, I just, I, there's no way I would have been able to do this if my spouse was still drinking. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. That's this person's closest to in your life, spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. It's imperative that they're in the loop, whether they're fully on board or not. Then I think you're lucky that he was on board. And is, is he a normal drinker, shall we say, for lack of a better term? He he was a normal drinker. Yeah. Yep. And now he doesn't really he doesn't really drink at all. And I think overall, it's just made such a positive impact on both our lives that he he doesn't really see a need to at least yet to even really want to drink. Yeah, that is that is so cool that you brought him on board early in the process. I think that's key. And let's yeah. talk about that, that that year before you got sober and talk about your drinking and, and what finally propelled you into sobriety. Sure. Probably actually even go back a little bit further than that just to kind of Absolutely. give yep. everyone a good idea of where I was at. So I actually, I didn't really start drinking until... I was in college, in high school, you know, I had a pretty good group of friends that kept me on the straight and narrow. And then once I went to college, it was, oh, I I was a mess. Like I went balls to the wall. I developed this party girl persona that basically never left me (laughs) throughout my adulthood. What's that? Were you a gopher? No, I wasn't. No, no. I went to a private business school. Gotcha. Yep. But I partied with the gophers, that's for sure. I partied, yeah, I was I was down on Frat Row and hanging out with, like, oh, yeah, I was, I've been there. Um, nice. <laughs> so my, you know, I, I started noticing even in college, even, you know, my group of friends, we, we were partiers, we were, we were, we were on it. 
but I noticed that I seemed to like it even more than them because there would be situations where it would be like a Thursday night, a Friday night, a Saturday night, a Sunday night, and we were just raging. And then Monday would come along and I would be the one being like, let's do shots. And my friends were like, <laughs> you need to chill. You need to chill because we, we need to recover. Time, <laughs> and Yeah, exactly. They've had, had to uh, make sure that I, like, I they would stop me from getting up and talking to professors and getting a little too involved with some classes where I would show up still a little bit under the influence. Yeah. So, but then I I graduated, I kind of entered the real world and was, I mean, my drinking slowed down definitely a little bit. I fell in love. I got married to my first husband. He was a musician. So I was kind of in the partying scene and then got pregnant, had my son, and it really wasn't until my son, who's now eight, was about two mm-hmm. when I started to see my drinking pick up. I, I was working in a pretty stressful job. I was an account manager for an education company, um, a learning and development company, and I had a pretty high-profile, stressful position and started kind of drinking on a nightly basis, just a few. And I mean, it's the Wisconsin drinking culture, too. Me and my coworkers would go out for happy hour as often as we possibly could. We would see each other at the liquor store after work and laugh about it and, like, high-five. I remember, you know, going to work and telling my coworkers that I had no problem with my continuous four beer a night regimen like mm-hmm. oh it's just totally normal to drink four beers a night and um everyone was like yeah totally and then over time it just kind of started to creep up and creep up and creep up and it was I mean it was daily it was definitely daily once it really started to progress into more than just being a heavy drinker into like a, a problem once my ex-husband and I separated basically like everything that could go wrong in my life was going wrong I lost my job and none of this was related to alcohol the demise of my my marriage was not related to alcohol but it definitely was a catalyst for my drinking behavior my relationship with alcohol completely took a turn and I started drinking just way more often I was in debt I didn't know how to pay my rent I had a a three-year-old I was moving states it was just Everything was a disaster, and I had no idea how to cope, so I was drinking often, two, two, every day. Two things. I, I like what you just said. I was, mm-hmm. I, everything was a disaster. I had no idea how to cope. That's that's a similar thread. Mm-hmm. And, and describe you were drinking way more often. What does that entail? You said you're doing four beers a night regimen. What does that ramp yep. up to? So what is way more often equivalent to? Yep. By the time I got to kind of the year before, like, you know, closer to my sobriety date, I was probably, I was at least drinking six or seven beers or drinks a night and then way more on the weekends. Mm -hmm. If I had, and I I loved day drinking, I would on the weekends, especially weekends when we didn't have any kids around, it was very common to like go out for breakfast, get a Bloody Mary, and then just basically continue drinking all day and fall asleep by seven. So it just became at least six a night if, and and definitely more on the weekends, much more. And yeah, it was, it was exhausting. It was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely exhausting. That progression ramps up and, and yeah, walk us through closer to your sobriety date. I think once 
you know, my one when I was going through my divorce and going through my separation and kind of going through this the the bottom phase of like the hardest time of my life, you know, that that was that's when my drinking got really consistent and it was daily and then then my life started to kind of turn around and I got my career back on track and I got my finances in order and I put in a lot of work paying off debt and I I paid my dues and I started exercising and I, I, you know, I started doing all these things. I fell in love. Like I got like, my husband is amazing. We are soulmates. I, you know, have, I really built a lot of really close relationships with people. I started kind of starting to turn my life around, but my drinking was out of control. Like I was still drinking and I could not get a hold on it, on it. And I think I started to feel so desperate because I couldn't stop. Like I was trying to do exercise programs where you couldn't drink for three weeks and I couldn't even make it three days. And I I could not understand why I couldn't stop drinking. And you start to feel so desperate and so hopeless. As I got closer to my sobriety date, what happened was, you know, January 1st, I said, I'm not going to drink anymore. And it wasn't, it wasn't like a, I have a problem. I'm going to be a non-drinker. It was just like a, I, I need to get a handle on this, so I'm going to take a break. Like, take a break from drinking is what I said a lot or was my goal a lot. And that day, New Year's Day, like, I went and got a bottle of wine, probably two bottles of wine. But the beginning of that year, I what led up to my Friday date was I had, and I was journaling very heavily at the time because mm-hmm. I was miserable. I was, I was a, 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 just a mess. I would prefer to sit at home in my bedroom with a bottle of wine by myself than play a board game with my family in the next room. It was just really sad and really, really lonely. And I was able to patch together like five days of sobriety and I was journaling about it and I felt great and I was starting to see these these changes. And then I went on an eight-day binge where it was every day mm. like drinking yeah. a 12-pack it was, and then by that end of that eighth day, I woke up and I, I, that was my first day of sobriety. I remember sitting outside of my work in the car and there was a church across the street and I'm not a, a religious person, but I remember like being pulled to go in there and just sob. Like I have this feeling of like, I just need to be healed. I'm ready to surrender. And I, I, I knew that's when I started really looking at the situation for what it was and accepting the word alcoholic, accepting, you know, looking at words I had never wanted to even look at, like sobriety, like recovery. And I knew that this was more than just having, I was drinking too much. It was, it's an actual problem. I I can't control it. And I needed, I needed to make a change. Like I physically could not go any further or I was, I was going to end up losing everything everything about my life that I worked so hard to turn around was and was going to fall apart if I didn't if I did not accept the fact that I had a drinking problem and that was the day like I opened up my podcast app and I searched for recovery and recovery elevator was the first first hit that came up and I like binge listened and never turned back I guess (laughs) wow that uh, thanks for thanks for listening and there's so much I want to comment upon, but I want to, I want to share with listeners one of the hardest parts about my journey looking back 
And you described this time perfectly, Amy. You used the word, it was desperate, you're lonely. It's when things were going pretty good in my life. It was like mid to late 20s. I'd got accepted to grad school. I thought I'd left the, the fiasco of Spain owning the bar behind me. I'd survived that, moved to Washington, um, starting to meet new friends. And I moved to Montana. And things in my life were looking great, paying off student loans, paying off debts, right. got a car. But there was this, this exhausting pull that I couldn't quite figure out what it was. And, and it was alcohol. And you did such a tremendous job of explaining that phase. A, a lot of people might think the hardest part about getting sober is, you know, the day ones, the, you know, the failed promises that that's the, that part of it where, you know, you want to quit drinking. But for me, almost the hardest part was this exploratory phase where I was like, what the fuck? Sorry. My language is wrong with me. I cannot mm -hmm. figure it out. Therapists, medications, diets, mm -hmm. just like you said, you know, new, new, uh, business books, self-development books, everything. And it couldn't have been the alcohol. Now I am at a luxury, Amy, and it sounds like you are too, that I know it's alcohol. I know what will happen if I drink again. There's not even a question, you know, that I get the thought like, right. maybe I can drink normally for a second, but mm -hmm. I have the luxury of knowing that alcohol <laughs> is a poison and it will kill me fast. And I also right. want to comment upon you, you mentioned you're sitting across the church on your eighth day after a bender. And you said the word acceptance that you, you finally started to explore and internalize words like alcoholic and, and things like that. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, it is what it is. And what was that feeling like when you finally came to accept it? It was so liberating. It was because I think once you truly come to a spot where you are accepting, then you're able to start forgiving, forgiving yourself. Because I'd spent, I'd spent years destroying my body, destroying other relationships, destroying my finances. <laughs> and once you're able to accept, accept it, you can forgive yourself for all of that and start to move forward. And you have, you know what you need to do. You know, you know that there's a light, you just have to follow it. And, and that doesn't mean that it's easy, but you know that there's some salvation out there. And I, I didn't accidentally fall into sobriety, but it was with me just the, the, the like the continuous self-searching of how to improve my current situation mm -hmm. on January 1st, 2010. I was like, I'm going to go a month without alcohol. Again, if you'd call me an alcoholic at that moment, I would say, whoa, pump the brakes. No way. But it was about three weeks into January where I was able to see clearly enough. The fog had lifted. Where I was like, mm -hmm. holy buckets, I th think alcohol might be a problem. Then I went February, then it went March, and then I went two and a half years. And I don't think, wow. it, it, I mean, I, I wasn't, I, even when I was drinking, I wasn't able to clearly see that alcohol was the problem. So I can relate a lot right. to what you said there. For so long, I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was very productive. Like I didn't have a rock bottom where I was getting DUIs or I injured myself or another person. Like there were some scary times. Don't get me wrong. There were some <laughs> mistakes I really regret making, but I didn't have a traditional rock bottom from the outside. People saw me as a party girl who liked to drink, but I was also getting up every morning and doing an insanity workout. And I was getting to work every day and I was getting to PTO meetings and I was I was getting shit done, but they didn't see that like when I would go and meet my friends for happy hour that I would drink before happy hour and I would drink after happy hour. <laughs> so that was a big even like a lot of people didn't understand and didn't did not. I mean, it was surprising to them that 
I decided to quit drinking. And sometimes it even still surprises myself. Like, I'm like, oh, hey, girl, like, you don't drink anymore. <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> this <cute>. is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so society, media, TV, newspapers, internet, movies, all that stuff, oh, so alcohol hard. companies. Oh, it's so hard. They, and they do a great job of making us think and picture what an alcoholic looks like, you know, the stigma and stats show only about 5% of people are what we think an alcoholic looks like that live under the bridge brown bag, homeless, things like that. That's only 5% right. of the people. The majority of, of people with drinking problems with enhanced dopamine receptors are, are just like, are, are just like you and I. And one of my favorite episodes I did probably seven or eight episodes ago, when I read the stats about who's listening, about who's in cafe area and like what the typical alcoholic actually looks like. We are high achievers. We are highly educated. Mm -hmm. We are smart. And I think there's that, 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 that dissonance in internally where we're like, wait a second, like I've got a job, got a house, got a marriage, got a kid, I got a sweet poodle. Like there's no way <laughs> I can be an alcoholic because I don't live under a bridge. And that, like I just said, is that was the most exhausting time of my life where look outside looking in like, man, everything's going great. What the F is going on? I can't be the alcohol. I don't live under a bridge. So I'm, I'm again, I have the luxury to know that alcohol is shit for me. Yeah, and so, right, so right. how did you do it, Amy? How did you, you're sitting across the, the church in the car and you finally have this acceptance. How did you do it mm -hmm. on January 16th, 2017? I started, I mean, I binge listened to cafe or the um, recovery elevator. I joined your group almost immediately, and then I started learning. I started reading a lot, um, read The Naked Mind. I, Great book. I started really trying to get educated on my behavior and where it was going, and I think just really being kind to myself. Man, those first few days, I remember my husband travels for work, so he's gone fairly often during the week, and I remember taking my son to karate class and sitting there listening to a recovery elevator episode and eating Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> like I hadn't ate Cheetos in a very long time and being like, okay with it. Like I'm this better than for shots. me. It was, it was, yes, it was almost very like therapeutic to just immerse myself in a community, a community of people that are like-minded. You get to hear their stories. I mean, also reaching out, I reached out to sober friends. I do have, I have sober people in my family. Wow. I have sober friends. And so reaching out to them and, and letting them know where I was at was a, a big deal. And it really gave me confidence and it really helped to uh, maintain, I mean, it improved a lot of relationships with some sober people in my family that I had not been close with for a very long time, probably because I was a drunken mess, but I just tried to be very, very gracious and kind to myself because those first few weeks and first few months even are really hard. And so just trying and being kind to yourself. I didn't actually tell my husband, like, this is where I'm at until probably day four. I remember like sitting down and I think he was drinking a glass of wine and I said, I've. I haven't drank in a few days and I've learned this about myself. I have a problem with alcohol. I cannot drink. Like I cannot continue to do this to myself, to our marriage, my relationship with the kids, my career. I just, I can't do this. I, I have to quit drinking and it has to be for good. I have a problem. And he 
Mike got up and poured out his glass of wine and poured out the, all the alcohol we had in the house. And I don't know, I just, I found it to be, those, even first few days, I just found to be very personal, almost like intimate experience of just kind of staying in a cocoon and trying to understand and get my head clear, you know, coming down from all that, especially from like an eight-day bender. I mean, I needed to take a few days. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then again, that's so cool. You brought your husband on board, and I wish that was the the common reaction from a loved one: get up, pour the pour the wine out, and dump all the alcohol out of the house. Unfortunately, it's it's not. But that's so cool. You brought him on board, and I agree 100% what you said. First, uh, first little go at this is pretty freaking hard. When did you start mm-hmm. to realize some benefits and start to see, wait a second, this is the right decision? I would probably say week two. I mean, I started, I definitely started to see some. I remember the first like week, week to two weeks, man, there was aches, there were pains, there were headaches, there was sleep issues. I mean, it was not fun. And then after a few weeks, I think it, is it called the pink cloud? Now it's mental. I don't remember what they call it. Pink cloud <laughs> or purple cloud. I don't know. This cloud of happiness. What is the pink cloud, Alex Trebek? (laughs) You got it. Sprinkling happiness all over my life, and I just started to feel a lot better and be able to see clearly and just feel better. And I, the interesting aspect is that actually I found out I was pregnant a month after I quit drinking. So after six months of trying to conceive, and I was drinking like a maniac the whole time mm-hmm. I got pregnant the month I quit drinking so oh. I like I think it was like 30 days to the day I found out I was pregnant and then then pregnancy symptoms came about so that was no fun but um, I guess what I can say about sobriety and this is a point I really wanted to bring up was we talk about taking it day by day and moment by moment and I think that's so accurate those first few days or weeks it literally was taking it moment by moment because the urge to drink is so, so high and urgent in that moment that you can't think of anything else. So literally just taking it, choosing not to drink in that moment, not thinking about that night or that week or that year or the next five years. I remember having like a panic attack. I think I was at karate with my son, (laughs) different day. But I remember like having a panic attack thinking about how I wouldn't be able to drink at my son's graduation party. And my son was in second grade. Hey, you know, we, we have, I had a second grade graduation party. Great question. You know, Was everybody Kung Fu fighting at that, at that class, Amy? Just a, just a question. Yeah, they they were. They were <laughs> they were. They it's yeah, it was fun. Darn it. it was fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then and then after you get a little bit more comfortable and you, you add on more weeks on your sobriety, then it then I felt like it it turned into take it day by day. And then after a few months it was it started to kind of transform into take it like activity by activity because I mean I I did everything drinking. I did everything drinking. So once the days started to seem normal, like it's normal to not be drinking. Then it was, oh my God, I have to go through not drinking at a barbecue or not drinking at a bonfire, not drinking camping, not drinking on an airplane. Like, dude, I used to love drinking on airplanes. It was like the funnest thing in the world for me. Not drinking on vacations, not drinking on Halloween, like filling a cup up and taking the kids trick-or-treating, like all these all these new activities that you have to get through sober, 
that, you know, after your first year of sobriety, you've pretty much checked almost all of them off, but those, those were kind of snuck in there. So I had to kind of prep for them um, as, because I knew that they would be especially triggering. So I'd kind of have to mentally prepare myself that this is going to be hard, but you can do it. And then afterwards, it's awesome. Like going to my first concert sober was amazing. And I always had uh, had a lot of anxiety leading up to those activities. Like, how am I going to be able to do this? It's not going to be any fun. I'm going to be thinking about alcohol the whole time. But then afterwards, I'm like, this was incredible. Like waking up on Christmas morning, not wanting to barf all over is amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a pro. Especially yeah, when you have kids. Plus. And yeah. let me let me read a passage. Uh, we just finished our book club. I know Cafe Ari has a book club where we actually read the book. And it, it, it describes early sobriety. It's similar to how you just did. It said, early sobriety has the quality of vigorous exercise, as though each repetition of a painful moment gone through without a drink serves to build up emotional muscle. And I love that because yeah. life is life will just throw challenges your direction, whether you want them or not. And as long as it doesn't matter if it's great or it's bad, but as long as you make it through sober, you have the opportunity to build up those habits, to build up the emotional muscles. And you're right. Like there's so many amazing events that I had in early sobriety, but they're also, you know, sometimes I went through, I did go to a, a, my, one of my first or second sober concerts sucked. Right. But it didn't matter if it was great or it was bad. At the end, I made it through sober and I was developing sober, right? yeah, those sober muscles. And, uh, and I, I, I remember going to Steve Aoki in Guatemala city sober, uh, like that was an amazing experience, but I had to go through some shitty sober moments before that to get there. And I love how you described the craving thing. Sometimes it's moment by moment. Um, and, and Amy mm-hmm. with, with 422 days of sobriety, what's on your bucket list? I would say, you know, I'm really excited to, to be a stay at home mom. I, I know that's kind of one of the questions at the end is, like, how do you, you know, you're an alcoholic if or whatever, but you know, you're an alcoholic if you're afraid to be a stay at home mom, because you'll just day drink all day. Like that was like literally in the past. I was like, I could never do that because I would be, I would be hosed all day long. There's no way I could do it and yeah. be able to take care of a child. And so I'm really excited to be and like be with my, my baby and be, you know, be there with him while he grows and to be able to walk my other kids to school each morning and pick them up from school and be more present. I mean, that's huge. I want to take, I mean, we've, we've already done some of this, but like taking a family vacation and I think just really, I, my goal is to just be a little bit more upfront and honest about my situation. It's been hard sharing with other people, but I think every time I do, I'll post about it on social media occasionally and it's always really hard but every time I do I get messages from people that are thanking me and whether they're oh your, your main Facebook page drink. right is that what you're saying yeah gotcha. yep, yep that's what I mean yep um they'll they'll thank me either they're looking at their own drinking behaviors and they want to meet up for coffee or they need they they need someone to talk to or their husband, you know, has a drinking problem and they're working through that. Like I've gotten so many messages from people where it's helped them. And so I think also just, you know, helping, sharing my story and being upfront about it. There's like, that's where true freedom lies. Like that's where I feel liberated from an addiction that just, just has its ugly little hands around your neck. (laughs) 
that last 20 seconds was huge value bomb right there. That's where freedom lies. <laughs> you feel liberating. That's so cool that you could put it out there mm -hmm. on your main social media page. I know that's a question I always get when people sign up for cafe. They'll ask me, then I'll see them post in the group. Is this page really secret? Which I had those same, mm -hmm. I had those same qualms. So I, I get it hundred percent, but it's so cool. People will do a screenshot of the day when they finally post it on their main Facebook page. Yeah. And gosh, it's like, it's so cool to see how warm a response people get from the general consensus from their own Facebook friends and the personal messages. You're right. Like you just, just explained it. And Amy, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you can okay. answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are I'm ready? ready? <laughs> All right. Ready. Here we go. Number one, Amy, what was your worst memory from drinking? Going to a Deftones concert and getting ridiculously drunk and then getting in the worst fight with my husband ever and walking around Minneapolis completely blacked out. I, I don't remember it at all. I'm no, I don't remember at all. I have no idea how I even got back to our hotel room. No idea. It was uh, scary. Gotcha. And we've all heard of the aha moment. What was your oh shit moment indicating you really can't control your drinking? I would say when I woke up one day and there was damage to my car and I had no idea how it happened. Gotcha. Yeah. And I had been drinking the night before. No bueno. And we, I kind of skipped over this question. <laughs> so I want to couple it with this, but what's your plan in sobriety moving forward and walk us through a typical day in your sobriety now? My plan going forward is to really stay active in my sobriety. So stay active in the community that I've become a part of. That's including Cafe RE. I have not gone to AA. I have not at all. And I do plan on doing that. That's kind of my next big goal is to at least try it. And just keeping community of, of people around me that are positive and supportive of my sobriety. And then a typical day, um, I wake up, I got a newborn baby, so I'm usually tired. I try um, I try to get up and I try to do some meditation and just take a moment for myself. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Get up, go to work, kind of work through my work day. I try to exercise during my lunch break. That's really the only time I have right now. And then go home and hang out with the family and, you know, uh, make sure that homework's done. Kind of go through all of those everyday tasks. And then once the kids are sleeping, try to hang out with my husband. Usually I will drink. I'm like addicted to um, tea now and definitely seltzer. Everyone, yeah, changes everyone's life. Seltzer water, soda water. And just read and go to bed. I mean, that's about what it is right now. It's great. <laughs> it's great not waking up hungover and not feeling like, you know, waking up and wondering how I'm going to be sober for the day. Like I, I know that I will be sober for the day. Yeah. So. And that life sounds great. But more importantly, it's, it sounds sustainable as in like you can yeah. continue to do that yep. healthy lifestyle day after day, yep. year after year. And, and I'm excited like I'm for living. you. Yeah. You're, you're living and I'm excited for you. There's this new chapter coming in your life. You're going to quit your job. You stay at home. Mom, I'm, I'm excited for you. And, and the next question in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Put your sobriety first before everything. So it has to come before your, your kids. It has to come before your career. It has to come before your marriage. It has to be the number one most important thing. Or, you know, it's, it's either going to be a lot more difficult or it's not going to work. So you have to put priority on it. It has to be the most important thing. 
for you. Agreed. And what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or already doing it? Um, if you are considering or if you're examining your own drinking behavior, then you should listen to more podcasts and do some research. And actually, I feel like looking into it and doing and educating yourself is is um, can be really scary because you're afraid of what you're going to find. But a lot of times that will that will give you kind of the confidence to, to either start to accept it or to look at it and, and maybe see that it, you don't, you either relate to it or you don't relate to it. So start to educate yourself and, and just be fearless. Just do what you have to do. Just do what you have to do. Life is, life is too short to spend the whole time miserable and drunk. It really is. Correct. Indeed. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you. I'm currently reading a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabber Mate. And oh my gosh, this book is intense. It's not so much specific to alcohol, but it covers addiction in general. This book is a compassionate look at addiction by bestselling author and physician Gabber Mate. This insightful book explores the scientific and physiological causes of addiction, and it talks about the process of how people become addicted to drugs and alcohol even before they're born. It's seriously mind-blowing stuff. I'm looking forward in the upcoming podcast episodes to cover some of the topics that Gabber explains in his book. And to keep this content free, please support today's sponsors. Thank you, ZipRecruiter and Casper the Mattress Company. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.